In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. I hope everyone listening to this within the sound of my voice can reach down and find the courage you need to get through a day if you're having an issue. I hope that you know there's people that love you. And I have a great show for you today. I have an incredible guest that I believe is going to be incredibly fruitful to talk to, and I'm really excited about it. The one and only Lubo Yusufova. And she is a consciousness and psychedelic researcher. She's familiar with the Vedanta tradition. She's clinical. She is spending her time as a clinical psychology doctoral student at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Um, currently one year with the Isha Foundation. Congratulations on that. And congratulations on the, on the poster that you presented on the phenomenological study on ego transcendence. I think we're going to get into a lot of incredible things here. I'm super thankful that you're spending some time with me today. How are you today? I'm doing great, George. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. I, I think we live in such a beautiful and interesting time. And as I was, one of the things that really attracted to me to want to speak to you was your, the way in which you're describing some of the events that are happening. You know, I, one little blurb that you had written down that I was like, oh, this is fascinating, was that you had written down that after five years of neuroscience research in mouse and computational models, your meditation practice acquainted you with a nature of mind far beyond the kind confines of highly operationally defined variables. Maybe you can unpack that a little bit for some people. <laughs> okay, okay. So... um yeah, I was in, in my most recent position, I was working with um, with mice and I was using mice to study, um, basically study PTSD, neurophysiology and treatment. So the neurophysiology of the disease and its treatment. Um, and the way it's studied in mice is you 
you electrocute the mouse and you pair the electric shock with a tone. Hmm. And eventually the mouse associates um, every time they hear the tone, they will um, show some kind of fear response because they will expect to get shocked. Right. Um, and the way that it's the treatment of that is you then just play the tone for the mouse with no electric shock and um, eventually the mouse no longer shows a fear response to the shock. Um, it gets desensitized to that tone um, or, or they no longer show a fear response to the tone, excuse me. So um, yeah, so that was kind of the, that's the treatment model and, and what that treatment model in, in humans, what it translates to is, would be like, if a veteran, if a combat veteran, um, if you treat their PTSD by playing the sound of a bomb going off mm -hmm. and you just desensitize them to that sound until they no longer have some uh, a conditioned fear response. Um, and, and I was already on, on the spiritual path when... Um, by this time and I read and I read the book um, The Body Keeps the Score which mm. um, which is a book that's that's like seminal in not just amongst like lay people mainstream for PTSD treatment but like even clinicians talk about how great the book is um, and he Bessel van der Kolk the author he talks about the limitations of that kind of treatment for uh, for PTSD, um, and there's there's go, there's a lot of limitations. But one thing is that you know that desensitization that um, that can be displayed can just be dissociation. Right. So the person that is may not be showing any kind of response to something that would normally elicit fear, um, it's not that they're they're treated, it's just that they're dissociated. Mm. Um, another limitation is that it's not just, there's more emotions that underlie PTSD than fear. There's shame, right? There's, yeah. um, there's anger. Um, and he said that the reason why it's called the body keeps the score is because he says that the trauma is stored deep in the body um, on a level where like cognitive behavioral therapy doesn't always cut it right. because it kind of, it bypasses that it's just so stored so deeply in the body that it bypasses um, that kind of treatment. And, and it's just like the treatments that we have have fallen short of expectations. That that model of PTSD treatment has fallen short of expectations, you know? Um, even though it's considered the gold standard and evidence-based, um, you know, it's just, it's not cutting it. Um, so that was kind of, I would say that was kind of the, the eye-opener for me in terms of how, how reductionist that approach was and how it just wasn't, it, it just left me feeling 
unfulfilled because of that. Man, it leaves me unfulfilled listening to that. Like you, you almost need a treatment from the. It, it's almost like Harlow's monkeys meets Pavlov's dogs. You know what I mean? Like that is, it's kind of sad to think about that. This is the research we're doing in order to heal people. How can research that harms people, in fact, actually heal people? It's, okay, I'm, I'm kind of birdwalking there, but yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy to think about, right? Yeah, and and it is it is based on the um, the Pavlov dogs um, experiments. It it is exactly that. It's conditioning. Yeah. Um, and and yeah it's it's where it's very weird because um it's like it's like i said it's the gold standard and it's considered that it, it rep, it's been replicated so much and 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 it's like we can trust it but but you know if if you speak to anyone like you've had randall on your show like if yeah. you speak, like it, it this treatment has just fallen short of expectations and it's why mdma and psychedelics are are considered such a breakthrough treatment now um but yeah and and when i was on the spiritual path another insight i had was um there's this there's this great quote that like a man himself will not find peace until he includes all beings as himself and i was just like i was just like the irony because we're trying we're we're um I mean, you have to breed these mice, and not right. all of them are used in experiments. A lot of them are just end up euthanized. So you're you're breeding all these mice, you're hurting them, and the irony is that it's all for the sake of, of helping humans, right? Attain what happiness right. and peace. And and the irony is that um, I remember just having this spiritual insight once that was like, well, you know the way to to get that happiness and peace is by connecting with all beings and um and and learning that connection and and opening your heart in that way not by harming them um so that was that was another insight i had into that and i just remember um i just remember ramdas you know he he was in academia and he was he was he was a psychologist, you know, and he had it all. He had like yep. he said he had the cor corner office in Harvard. He had the motorcycles. He had um, he had it all. And, and he um, even before he got fired for the whole psychedelic scandal, he said he said that he just he just lost interest in what he was doing. He said he, he said it just felt like meaningless fluff because um and he was working with with humans like he was studying personality but yeah. he said like his his colleagues are were all like um supposed to be experts in psychology and and human behavior and they themselves were not evolved they themselves were not living lives that were fulfilled and and he just um and he just couldn't he he just felt like they weren't doing enough that mattered, that that was moving the needle in any way um, that was meaningful enough. And that's why they had to be fulfilled with the status and the positions and the cars and the that's why it was there was there was a lack of of doing anything that really, really mattered. Um, so even before he got fired, he he was like by the time he got fired, he was like totally OK with it because um, because of that and, and so 
And so that was something that really resonated with me, his, uh, um, his story. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's so true. It's and maybe this is why spirituality has sort of been cut off from science is because once you begin understanding some avenues of spirituality, you start thinking like, what are we doing with science? Jesus Christ. What is this? Like, why are we doing this? And then they're like, Hey, get this spiritual person out of here, man. You're messing up the system over here. Don't you realize how much money you're going to make? Like it just seems, and it kind of seems that what we're seeing now with this sort of, you know, reimagining science and spirituality together, we're seeing a lot of this, like, Hey, what are we doing? Why, like, why is there so much PTSD out there? Not only with soldiers, but with people that are truck drivers, like what, what is wrong with our society? And it's, I, I think that you can see a large part of what's wrong with our society just in the experiments that we're doing. You know, I, I guess that kind of speaks volumes of, of you had a bit of pilgrimage yourself. Like you went and lived in an ashram for a year and bridged this gap between science and spirituality. What's that all about? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, Ramdas also went, <laughs> it was like, I don't even know. It was crazy because I just, I remember um, telling my family like um, several months before I went, I was like, I'm going to go to an ashram, like, you'll see. And they didn't believe me. They were like, no, you're, you're not like, what? <laughs> um, and then, yeah. And then I just, I started listening to Kirtan music, which is basically like these Hindu devotional chants. Um, so that was like all I was listening to. I stopped listening to mainstream music. Then I bought a mala and I started doing the chanting. Um, and then I, um, you know, they say, they say your guru always finds you. You don't find your guru. Mm. And, um, and I was, uh, I was on, on YouTube one day and, and what came up on my like for you page was, um, a video of Sadhguru on the Joe Rogan mm. podcast. Right. And, and I just, I just clicked on it. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like, this is not someone who I would expect to see on on this podcast so i um i i started watching and there were just things he said that that really resonated with me one, one thing he said was um he was like if joe rogan was like yeah you know people they were talking about how people don't really believe in the concept of heaven anymore and um joe rogan was like yeah, you know, like it's religion, it's caused all these problems. And and Sadhguru said he was like, How do you know you're not in heaven and just making a mess of it? How, like, how do you know you're not already in heaven and you're just making a mess? So he said that and then um and then he was like he was like, Yeah, you can do you can do yoga, but if you really want to know the source of creation, like come to the ashram. Um so anyway, like I listened to him and I it wasn't like law. It was like a week or two. And then I basically booked a trip to uh, the first like introductory program at his ashram. Um, and, and I, you know, and I, I left my job where I was electrocuting and killing mice. <laughs> and um, yeah. And, and when I went to the ashram, like it was, 
you know, we were talking about intuition before we started right. recording, but, and I had this intuition that like, what I'm doing seems risky to the outsider right now, but I just knew that I wasn't going here just for myself. Like I knew that one day I was going to use what I learned at the ashram to help other people. And I took a stack of notebooks with me to take notes, you know? And, um, so yeah, so I had that intuition and, you know, you're basically training your mind at the ashram. You're just training your mind all day in, in various ways, whether it's the postures, the asanas, the breathing, the pranayama, uh, dhyana meditation. So, and you're training your mind to be one pointed. And the interesting thing about that is that, um, the, the the one pointedness of mind has been is correlated with uh, default mode network deactivation, which is mm -hmm. what you see in psychedelic states and people who are expert meditators. So there's so there's something about um, so there was that overlap of psychedelics and training your mind to be one pointed via meditation or any other contemplative practice. So, and I was of course expecting to see and experience mystical consciousness, but I was really surprised to see how, um, how similar it looked to psychedelic states, but in the most brutal way, like mm. it's like these intense emotions this purging, this, your body shaking, quivering, like, and, and it's, um, but it's also followed, of course, by these blissful states. Um, and, and what that is, is the, the Kundalini rising. Um, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you interject here, but this was kind of like the beginning of, that merging of the science and spirituality because i was like i was like it's interesting what we're doing here at the ashram it's not medicine and yet it looks a lot like psychedelic medicine and this and there's this psychological healing that's happening mm. but it's happening via spiritual growth so this psychological healing and spiritual growth are like one and the same and um yeah, so that was that was kind of the beginning of of the project that I started. I love it. It's fascinating to me, and you know, it, I probably shouldn't bring in Western mythology and try to tie it to like the Indian ashram, but it seems a lot like the hero's journey to me in some ways. You know what I mean? Maybe that's the maybe I'm mixing my metaphors a little bit, but like it does seem this uh, like this idea of being called to something and then refusing the call, and then all of a sudden being like damn it, I'm going to do it. And then having the people that you leave be like, you're making a big mistake, man. You got to keep killing these mice. Don't you know how important that is? You keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's funny. It, and I make fun of it because it saddens me. Like, like I'm saddened by it. That's why I make fun of it. So if people are listening, don't get mad at me. Like I, I get it. Like I, I realize the unrealized dreams of the people manifest themselves in ways that become generational trauma. And I hate that. That's probably the giant cause of PTSD. But if, if, if we focus for a moment on this idea that the, the 
spiritual nature of going to the ashram helped solve a psychological crisis? Maybe another way of saying that is that our we already have a one point in this, but it's it's skewed to one side. It's like we have this sort of you know sharpened scalpel of intellect that allows us to cut into everything without ever actually dissecting it mentally. You know what I mean? Like we don't ask if it's right or wrong. We just dig into it. Let's let's electrocute all these mice and find out what it is instead of asking the question of like, hey, why are we doing this? You know. But it seems to me, I guess I get caught up in this idea of one-pointedness. Like, is, is, is one-pointedness, like, sort of the idea of a holistic approach? Is one-pointedness the way you describe it, the right and left hemisphere coming together and seeing the world maybe the way it is instead of the way we want it to be? Because when I think of one-pointedness, sometimes I think of, like, a focus like a laser beam. And that seems a lot of, like, the intellectual scalpel to me. What, what am I missing there? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I see what you're asking. Um, no, I what you're saying in regards to the doing things without questioning it. Yes. That's yeah. yeah, I so I was just at the um, the science of consciousness conference, which is like an international conference. Um, it's the the conference for consciousness of the whole year. Um, and it's crazy because I was speaking to people there and they were saying like, you know, a few years ago, this conference, like there was no one spoke about spirituality at all. And now um, there's like all these present, like people were speaking about yoga, about Vedanta. And there was a, um, I saw something called the Galileo commission report. And Ooh, I got to write that down. Can you say yeah. that again? The Galileo Commission Report. Okay. And it's basically a report written by um, a bunch of scientists. And, and everyone knows the story of Galileo. He said right. um, he was put on house arrest for like the remainder of his life because he said, no, the earth is not in the center. And, um, and the reason why they named it that is because they're basically saying that materialism and scientism has become like a new religion. Like there, mm -hmm. you can't question it. And anytime there's any evidence that rejects, um, that rejects it, the, the evidence is rejected. So, um, and there's, and it's caused this like narrow understanding of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so this report is basically about like challenging scientific materialism and examining evidence against it and they're basically saying that like that this this materialism has just become another church where it's it's already not even logical like any evidence that you give them that hey listen like there's there's something beyond like they just don't want to accept it um and um but there are an increasing number of, of scientists and scholars who are questioning the prevailing belief that materialism is is all there is um so so what i want to so in terms of like the the intellectual scalp scalpel yeah it's a huge problem it's a huge problem right. in 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 science and um and it's like there's a difference they're saying there's a difference between science and scientism and and now we're we're at a place where it's just it's just become 
it's just become another religion essentially and um and the scientific establishment they're just like they're just dismissing anything that challenges the materialist paradigm because they have all these vested interests and um and they're just entrenched in that paradigm so so that that's a huge problem and you know these people are very brave because when you do speak out against i feel like we're living at a time where when you do speak out against the scientific establishment um you know it's you get a lot of flack for it so but but there are but there are people there are people doing that and and i i respect it a lot um but in terms of the one-pointedness of mind so that what that is is just like you know when when you're meditating right you want to exclusively have your mind on a single object whether it's your breath whether it's um you know this the third eye right here um and and there's kind of there's kind of two um and you kind of have to cultivate that concentration in order to achieve the final goal of yoga which is union with god um so the one pointedness of mind is is referring to that um it's referring to to being able to see an object your your concentration and your mindfulness has to become so good that when you're looking at an object you're seeing it in its true form like there's no uh you're not projecting any of your your mm concepts onto it you're seeing a tree for it and and it becomes so um you're seeing it in such true form that they say you become one with the object um that's why they say like something like telepathy is possible you know when when you when you um when you train your mind enough they they say there's something there's something called cities cities are like superpowers basically and um you can like Ramdas's guru, uh, Neem Karoli Baba. He would like read Ramdas's mind, and and he would be blown away because he came from the West with this rational perspective of of how things are supposed to be. Um, but that's that's essentially like you are so one with whatever you're looking at that you can see right into it. You become it, like you become it. Like I you know someone with this someone with the city can look at you and and become george to the point where they can see and feel and understand your entire experience um and and that's essentially what one pointedness of mind does i love it it's it's interesting to Well, if, if I take it back to the beginning of some of the things you were saying, when we talk just briefly going back to this idea about speaking out about science, it reminds me of the, you know, the classic quote that Gandhi had that said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And it seems like we're pretty close to winning right now if they're beginning to fight us. So <laughs> it's fascinating to think about it from that angle. On, on, this, on the one point in this, it, you know, there, there are tons of, 
it makes a lot of sense because you find people who are on the spiritual path and it's a lonely path. So even though you begin to develop these spiritual skills or you begin the road to one pointedness, you know, you have to, you have to leave everybody behind on some level. And then it's kind of sad, but you, know, you can see why people go to the, the ashrams or people find themselves in monastery that are usually sometimes in secluded areas and stuff like that. It, it, it kind of is fractal in a way, if that makes sense. Like you begin to see the practice as the same sort of lifestyle. And it's weird how those things begin to, to match up when you start looking at it from that angle right there. It's, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm really proud that and, and excited to talk to someone who's on a path like this and who's had the courage to do it. And maybe can you explain like what was it that allowed you to was it did you see something happening was it the experiment was it the lifestyle you were living like what was it that made you have the courage and the fortitude to make a change in your life to do that because i'm sure it wasn't easy right um it's like if it's like um I feel like it was a lot easier than like, well, I was like saying earlier, it's, it's very weird. It's, it's almost like something was putting me on this path and giving me the courage because I, you know, out of nowhere, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to an ashram. Then out of nowhere, I start listening to Kirtan music. Like I'm enjoy, like I'm literally just listening to Kirtan. I stopped listening to all mainstream music and um, and, and then I buy a, a mala. And so it's like, it's all these, it was just draw. I was just so drawn to that. And, and yeah, it is such a different, um, lifestyle. I mean, our lifestyle is so not conducive to being happy and being happy and at peace. You know, you recently had Anya on your show. I, I, I listened and like everything she was saying is just so spot on. And, you know, this, the science and technology stuff, like, it's just so ironic because it's supposed to make our lives better and and eradicate suffering. And it's kind of only bringing more suffering. Um, there's this great book by Huxley who also wrote mm. Doors of Perception. He, he was a mystic, you know? And he wrote this book in, like, I think it was, like, the 30s, Brave New World. Mm. Um and in that book, it's like a, a future dystopia where 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 people are no longer like instead of saying, oh, God, people are people worship technology and science to the point where they no longer say, oh, God, they say, oh, Ford, like Ford, like the car. And it's just like all these different and and you, you no longer reproduce. You reproduce in the Petri dish, basically. Right. Like everything is. And it's, it's such a reflection of what's, what's going on right now. And and. Um, and there's just, but there's no, uh, suffering. Like they have a pill for, I think it's called like Soma. If, if yep. you feel any negative emotion, you take Soma and you're good. And, but people are just so miserable and, and disconnected from each other. Um, and I think it's like, it's, it's so, it's such a reflection of, of what's happening now. And, and yeah, like, our lifestyles are not conducive. You, you know, when, when I'm at the ashram, it's just, it's just so different. Like everything is, it's just such a mindful way of, of life. Um, 
and and you realize how much mindfulness impacts your well-being um yeah i yeah i don't know i um <laughs> i it's like it's hard because i don't want to like it's always like risky to speak out about science technology like because it's mm. like oh it's the thing it's the thing right but it's like I don't know, like everywhere, it's like mental health crisis, mental health crisis. But then Apple just came out with these goggles. Right. And it's just like, well, you know, what are you doing for, for the mental? You're making it you're making it worse. Like, I don't get they don't realize you're making it worse. Um, and I, I just feel like the the materialism that that whole paradigm of living chasing happiness and peace through that paradigm Sadhguru calls it like it's like trying to taste something through your ear like you're you like it's not the you you'll never find um happiness and peace through anything material anything anything outside of you you will never it, it's just not there um and, and the irony is just that people keep, keep it's like a rat race or, you know, they're on that hamster wheel, but, and they just can't come off. Yeah, there's so much, really well said. Thank you for that. I, I'm always partial to the idea of materialism and happiness is trying to drink the ocean with a fork, you know, <laughs> but it's, it just makes so much more sense when you start, when you start seeing the world, like, what the hell does that even mean? Oh, I get it, you know, but I want to take us back to Huxley for a minute because I love the guy. And if you look at his, um, if you look at the collection of books that he that he's written, and you look at them from a lifetime basis, the way in which he produced them, from how he lived his life and the age that he wrote them, you know, you have like a perennial philosophy, the doors of perception, brave new world, and then the island at the end, which is like the 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 what it can be, I think. But if we talk about brave new world for a moment. You know, let, let's take the idea of soma as ketamine, right? Because you talked a little bit in the beginning of this conversation about the experiments that you were doing by electrocuting mice and trying to solve the problem of PTSD. And ultimately, if I remember correctly, we were talking about it being disassociative. You're not solving the problem. You're just disassociating from it so you can continue to go on. And I worry sometimes that you know, when you begin to see big pharma and, you know, these, <laughs> you begin to see like a lot of executives that are like, listen, we're going to give this to the people. It's going to make it a little bit more productive over here. Like really what you're trying to do is just get people to disassociate all the trauma from their workplace so they can continue to do their job. And in, in some ways we are acting out brave new world in that fashion right there. So it, it bothers me to see that aspect of it. Like, oh, I see. We're we're just going to have yoga on the slave ship now. Okay, it's going to be all better, everybody. Just do some yoga and then get back to work. What, what do you think about the idea of people sort of using um, psychedelics, ketamine, and these other things in the world as a disassociative so they can continue to move on in their life? Is, is that something I'm making up or do you see that pattern there as well? Um, well, I definitely, no, I, I, I know what you're talking about and, and the psychedelics, um, you know, I mean, people have, yeah, people use psychedelics for productivity all the time. 
Right. Um, they use it for, yeah, they use that for productivity. And yeah, there's all this like, oh, like self-care, self-care, you know, and it's like, um, and it's kind of just lip service, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, there. there isn't really a vested interest in, in making people happy and healthy. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I would liken soma to ketamine. I would more liken it to like a benzodiazepine maybe because <laughs> maybe an SSRI as well. Yeah. Or, or even, yeah, SSRI, because I mean, ketamine, at least, um, there is some, you, you get in touch with, with emotions and, and trauma. Um, but yeah, with, with the soma, it's like, oh, I, I feel, yeah, I feel down. SSRI, it's going to bring me up. I feel yeah. anxious, benzo, it's going to relax me. Um, and yeah, there's, I, I don't see, like, I, I just don't see society making an effort to really put mental well-being first. Um, it's, like I said, like, you read a mental health crisis in one article, next article, it's, it's the Apple, the Apple pro goggles. And it's just like, how, how do you, how do you not see the, um, the irony in that, you know? Um, yeah, yeah I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, totally. Yeah. In, in some ways, if we look at it from a symbolic point of view, like Apple's creating these blinders that you put on. Like if you think about that headset is like, just hey, don't pay attention to anything else. Just look at this thing. Oh, you want mental health? There's an app for that. Just strap this thing on your face. Quit looking around. Like it's, it's weird how the world will show you what's happening if you're willing to look around and see this narrowed vision or this, you know, it's, it's become so pornographic, the world that, hey, just stop paying attention to it and strap these goggles on your face. Dang it. It's, it's better. You know, it's, it's, and in some ways it's kind of sad to think that, but I do see it in a, in, a, in a sort of dystopian way like that. But let me try to shift gears for a minute and, and talk about. Well, it's, I also, yeah, please. I also just want to say like, it's just so missing the point of um, like recently um, jo- Jonathan, uh, I think his name is Jonathan Potter. He, he recently asked on, on LinkedIn, he was like, what are, what are um why are all of these psychedelic stocks failing like you wouldn't mm. think that they would be failing right. given how much hype there is around it um and i kind of just said as a joke <laughs> and everyone everyone liked the comment but i was like i think it's the um i think it's like the omnipotent plant medicine spirits that are picking up on the bad vibes in the industry <laughs> And they're like, you don't deserve the sanctity of this medicine yet. Yeah. And and what I mean by that is like, yeah, it's a joke, but it, it's true. Like, I just feel like, again, all the, the the apps, like there's an app for your mental health. Like they're missing the point yeah. of, of what a, what psychedelics should be, which is it's about community. It's about connection. It's about um about reconnecting with your environment and and everything that's alive, um, and there's just that's just lacking, and I, and it's just they're the stocks are failing because it's just not the space for it. You know, I I don't think psychedelics are meant to be in this white coat medical environment. Um, that's 
they should be done in like in a in more of a nurturing you know ketamine like you're on a dentist chair people people like have horror stories about this yeah it's um so i i just i'm a i guess i am disappointed and afraid that the psychedelic industry is going to get lost and caught up in that um in that like in the corporate the money the white coat the, the medicalization of it all like i i really don't want that to happen because i don't think that's what psychedelics are about and, and should be about yeah i agree 100 and I, I think a lot of people share that that sort of realization like hey this is happening but if we if, if i continue with what you're talking about the way in which the medical stocks or the psychedelic stocks seem to fail we can take another example if you look at another plant medicine like cannabis like cannabis was sort of patient zero and all of a sudden they try to monetize it and they create all these industries around it what happens the price drops to nothing it's the same spirit saying yeah this is great get it out there for everybody and then i'm gonna make it free you know, it's almost like a Trojan horse strategy. Like, yeah, let's get this stuff into medicine. Yeah, psychedelics for big pharma, perfect. And then all of a sudden, the the doctor, you know, we're seeing this switch from the doctor that would prescribe a benzo or suboxone or or you know, one of these one of these interesting chemicals that is made to help addiction. But that doctor has never ever tried that, Doug, and nor will they ever. But when you look at psychedelics, you see the facilitator is someone who's has a real relationship with the medicine instead of just being prescribed the medicine. The, the practitioner actually has a relationship with the medicine so they know what the person is going to go through. Maybe that's what psychedelics are doing on some, on some level is the same way that when you take a psychedelic or an entheogen and it gets into your body and it begins to change your perspective, maybe that's like a, a, a conscious that's happening throughout our communities right now and throughout the world is if we look at the if we look at our community as a body if we look at our state as a body if we look at our world as a body and the psychedelics beginning to permeate that body we see consciousness changing is that too big of a metaphor i mean it, it seems plausible to me right like it seems like the first kind of come up on this world changing paradigm oh yeah no i think that's spot on i think that when no, I because you know, um, I think we're all we're all connect, we're all one universal right. mind. Agreed. We're all one universal mind. So, given that, if you um, when one of us raises our consciousness, elevates our consciousness, that uh, that does permeate that one universal mind, and it does elevate everyone's consciousness. So it's kind of like a, a, a domino effect in yeah. a way. Um, so I do think that this is like the, the psychedelics are, are playing a role in that. I just I mean, I agree, like facilitators should have a personal relationship yeah, with the medicine. But but are they going to require that? It, it just seems like um, it just seems like in, in these spaces um, there it would be one of those things where, oh, if you have the credentials, you can administer this medicine. It doesn't seem like that industry or that uh, field is at a place where they would, you know, that's because that's shamanism. In, in shamanism, in order to treat someone, you have you had to have gone through it yourself and healed it within yourself. 
in in western medicine yeah. it's not like that you get the training you you learn it in a textbook and off you go so i i don't know that's another concern of mine that they're going to allow people to facilitate the medicine that have that don't have experience with it okay so let's let's broaden this particular discussion like yes somebody who is going to try to treat someone with medicine should not only have a relationship with that medicine, but they should have gone through it. And when we look at the doctors today, they have written it, they have read it in a textbook sometimes. But isn't that the same sort of relationship that we have not only with psychedelics, but with school, with everything? Like, and if you look at it, like that's a you have taken a path that has decided, I'm not gonna deal, the system is stupid. Like, I'm going to learn from a guy who knew somebody who had a friend whose dad actually had the lived experience. Well, what is that? That's ridiculous. You should be learning from people that have the lived experience so that you can have the lived experience and then you can teach it. But you should not be able to teach any course, in my opinion, anything unless you've lived it. Like, how else do you know? Like, you don't know. People sit up and they, they, they get master's degrees or PhDs. For for studying someone else's particular theory that never, you know, they, they didn't apply anything. And I think that that is why we've gotten so far off track. And I think that psychedelics are showing us that. It's like, you guys have gotten so far off the path. You don't even have lived experience anymore. All you have is the words of the people who came before you. And it's like we're, we're trapped in this bubble. And we have... We have failed to go into the forest. We have we have not listened to the call. And I, on, on some level, when I think about it like that, is is that model dying? Like, if I know I'm kind of rambling right here, so forgive me if you can. No, if you no. can okay, <laughs> like I'm, I'm taking it somewhere. I promise. So if again, if I go back to this idea that generations, the younger generation, that you know the 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 millennials, the Xers, and then the boomers, it seems to me that we have lived the life of the boomers because they're such a big generation for so long. There's still the elders and there's so much they have to teach us. And I'm so thankful for a lot of the things. However, we are outgrowing a large part of their ideas. Their ideas have constrained us in a way that have allowed us to be almost, I'm not using this word as a pejorative, but retarded in some way. Like we, we can't grow because we're so confined to this narrow scope of a boomer vision whether it's the octogenarians in Congress, the octogenarians in government, the octogenarians running tech, like just thank you. But it seems to me that their ideas are dying and rightfully so every idea should have its time. But maybe that's a big part of what's happening here is that part of us as a body is dying and a large part of us. If you look at the wars that are happening, they're all boomer ideas. And so many of the problems we have today are these ideas that don't work anymore. And when you look at big tech or government, they're still trying to force feed us these ideas. These are the ideas you have to live in. Like, listen to us. But do you think that maybe what we're seeing is a generational struggle from like the Xers, the millennials and the Ys? Like, look at the way you're speaking about science versus the way a boomer speaks about science. Look at the path you took versus the path of, let's pretend that you have a, uh, a mentor at the, at the place you were working at that, was that hated the fact that you did what you did, right? Like the unrealized dreams of those that came before us are somehow we're shedding that skin like a snake does. And we are beginning to emerge as this new 
form. And I, I think that that is in medicine. It's in science. It's in business. It's in this idea of money. Like, But it's all changing. I know that's a shotgun out the back, but what do you think about that? No, we're definitely in a death rebirth process okay. as a society. I, I definitely... I definitely see it and and other people are seeing it and I think and I think that's why it's such a difficult time for yes. people because you know they they say it's like in labor right like Ooh. labor is such a painful like death like process but at at the same time um there's a birth that's happening it's like the the death and rebirth happen at the same time. Yeah. And I think and I think that's I think that's what's happening now. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the old ways are dying and and I think um and I think there is a rebirth happening and there is like, you know, I recently saw an article like about academia, like people people are leaving academia. People hate it. People see how it's just it's just all about like competition and getting into a high impact journal and, and, and low pay. And, and so all these institutions, um, I think people are seeing them for, for what they are. Um, and I think that's why they're failing. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, there are like this Galileo commission report, like there are, there are scientists who are much older than I am boomers who, who do see that For there's sure. a problem, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I, I do, I do agree that, that we're in a critical point right now in, in society in time. Yeah. There's a great book called the fourth turning by Levi Strauss. And he talks a lot about cyclical generations and how things transpire between generations. And, you know, and when I think about it from a generational point of view, I think about, I'll use you as an example, like you're seeking the wisdom of those that came before you so you can interpret it and give it back to the next generation. And in doing so, you're trying to maintain the integrity of it, but at the same time, you're using their wisdom and you're sort of mixing it with your lived experience before you pass it on to somebody else. And it seems to me that like that's, that's something that people like yourself and other people that may be aspiring to become the leaders of tomorrow should be seeking out. They should be seeking out the wisdom of the people that came before you in a very powerful, in a very truthful way, and then interpreting that evidence to their life and passing it on, kind of becoming a bridge to that next generation. Because as is, is, is much an animosity as I, I, I sometimes feel towards the older generation, I have a lot of respect for them too. And I, I don't mean to paint with such a broad brush that when I say boomers, like every boomer, like I, I shouldn't have really painted with that broad brush, but it seems to me that the ideas that came before us have been very helpful and nurturing in so many ways. But just like a birth, the baby that struggles to come through the birth canal, like you must, like if you do not come through the birth canal, you, you die. And death and childbirth is a real thing that happens all the time, sometimes to the mother, sometimes to the baby. But those deaths mean that sometimes the species won't live on. Those deaths mean that the ideas won't be carried on. And I think that that is the, the passion with which I'm trying to speak today is this idea that, look, our ideas must prevail. It's sad. I get the wars and I get all this stuff, but it's necessary. Like Those things are going to happen. We shouldn't be stuck in those ideas. 
We should be desperately trying to come up with new systems. And we need people to have the courage like you to, even though you probably could have had a very comfortable life staying where you were, staying in your lane, staying focused on electrocuting mice and trying to heal PTSD in this narrow fashion. You probably could have been really successful at it, whatever that word means, comfortable at it, and lived this life that was carved out in a box for you. But you chose not to. Something inside you called to you and said, no, I, I think there's something better. And you chose to believe in that. You chose to hear that voice and listen to it and consequences be damned, money be damned. I'm going to follow my passion. But, and I think that that is what other people should be looking at. Is And, and I'm hopeful. I know that your story inspires me, and I, I hope that it inspires other people out there because I think that that is the path forward. And I know that's let, – let me, let me shift gears a little bit and talk about – unless there's something you want to add to that. Um, no. No, I think uh, – I mean – yeah, thank you for thank you for that. But yeah, I agree that um, that I, I think when you are aligned with what you are meant to be doing, you're going to be successful. Like mm. um, it's there's this idea that um, that success comes like in, in, in certain ways only. But I, yes. I think that when you are doing what you're meant to be doing, um, the success will just happen it'll just happen. And, and that, that's what happened to me. Like I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, I, pe people were surprised that I went to do, went off to do this. And I ended up at this prestigious conference presenting research. It's like, what? But it's because I was doing what I was supposed to be doing and, and what I was passionate about. Um, and yeah. How does that feel like how does it feel to take this leap of faith and probably have some naysayers around you or and, and maybe those naysayers aren't bad people maybe they're just they are people that didn't have the faith and so there's some resentment there they're not bad but how does it feel to kind of have that negativity a little bit surrounding you and then have this alignment that you believed in happen what, what does it feel like when you you're at that conference and like you've you've kind of gotten to this spot what, what is that like um, yeah, I mean, so the naysayers, right? Like, the thing is, I, like I was saying earlier, I just, my intuition has just really, when you, when you meditate, when you're on the spiritual path, your awareness expands to the point where you're, you just become more intuitive and, and more, more trusting. Um, mm. so, and when, when these naysayers were like, what, what are you, what are you doing? I wasn't going to be like, oh, well, I can like sense the future. So I know I'm going to be okay. Like, I didn't want to say that because right. I would have seemed insane. So I, I was <laughs> like, so I was just like, that's fine. If, if you want to think that, you know, I'm throwing my life away and, and whatever, like, that's fine. You can think that it's, it's really inconsequential. Like there's, mm. there is no consequence, um, of, of what you think for what you think of what, what I'm doing. Um, and, and of course, like you have to, um, th there has to, you have to have like some, some strength, right? Sure. Because not some people might get, and maybe this is what people thought was going to happen to me. Cause I seem so petite and everything. And I'm like, you can break, you can say something to me and break me, but it's like, no, just, it's fine. If, if, if you don't, um, 
if you don't see it, then then it's it's not for you to see. It's not for you to understand. Um, but then and and yeah, I was like, I I knew I would prove you wrong, and I did. And um, but yeah, it's it's sometimes amazing to me to think how when you truly rise above a situation, some of the emotions that may have may you may have felt in the past, you seem to rise above, right? Like if, if you really are, if you at least in my opinion, it seems to me that when you are really not bothered by someone, like you can't really feel anger towards them. You can't really feel resentment towards them, right? Like even though they may have said some things that were aimed to hurt you, or maybe even they try to hurt you, rising above those those sort of emotions, would you call that surrender? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think that the ultimate, not, not caring what people think and not paying attention to what people think is is the ultimate surrender because the ego wants to control everything it wants to control other people's opinions of you it wants to control how how you're perceived how everything um you know to make sure that you're going to have success so i think i i think that that is the ultimate surrender which is um you know, you, you can think whatever you want and, um, and it's, and it's fine. It's, I'm not going to try to control your perception. Um, I'm just going to surrender to, as long as I'm aligned with truth, um, I'm going to surrender to, to everything else. That's, that's beautiful. My next question was going to be, you know, what is the relationship between surrender and success? But I think you kind of answered it right there. I think, uh, well, you know, in in the Bhagavad Gita, they there's something that, uh, which is like the, it's like the Bible of of Hinduism, right? Sure. <laughs> um, you know, and this is something they taught us at the ashram always, like, never focus on the fruits of your actions. Work, like, just focus on your actions and putting a hundred percent into that and 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 like dedication and passion and integrity mm -hmm. and do not be um do not be concerned with the fruits of it that is up to god you have to surrender to the fruits of the action just focus on the action and so you have to and that what that essentially means right is you have to surrender to to whether or not you'll be successful as well that's really well said. And I think that's really good advice for people to do it. And it takes away the, it takes away the, the, um, greed in a way, because a lot of the times the things we develop or sometimes in a corporation or in ourselves as individuals, we develop ideas based on what the outcome might gain us instead of developing ideas on what they might do for us. You know, it's, it's an interesting concept. It's just a little change of words right there, but it, it's a, it's a big difference. It's fascinating too. Think about well, it. yeah. I mean, if everything, yeah. When when you're doing things for status, for success, for money, um, as opposed to, as opposed to trying to bring some, something for the greater good, I mean, yeah. you're missing the entire point. 
that's you're missing the entire point. So I think I think that's what um, I think that's what Krishna was getting at in in the Gita, um, in terms of not focusing on the fruits but just on the action. Yeah, it's such a more fulfilling life, right? Like if you're sometimes focusing on the fruits too forces you to have anxiety about the future or be trapped in the past because I didn't water that plant or I was this thing going to bloom or not instead of just focusing on the, the present moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is like a, a lifelong, that's like something you work on your whole life to, um, to decondition yourself, to not constantly be stuck in the past or, or the future because the ego just it, it clings to that it it does not feel comfortable in the present moment because it's like how how am i going to survive unless i am constantly planning about for something or thinking about something it's like there's i think it's just a survival instinct so it takes um it, it takes a lot of work to to be to become present um yeah do you think that maybe part of this awakening that we're kind of seem to be going through is integrating the ego into our own sort of like, you know, I, I was talking to Jessica Rochester and she was telling me that she had read and, and had been in conversation with some people that, that think maybe what's beginning to happen is that the, the ego, the mind as we know it, is beginning to find its way down to the world of instincts. Like we all have instincts. Like, you know, you kind of, hey, this person is, is, finds, me, finds me interesting or, hey, this person doesn't like me or I, I feel like this is a bad situation or I think we should go in this door over here. Like we have these instincts that we intuit. Is it possible that what's happening now with this sort of you know, people talk about ego death and stuff like that, but is it possible that what's happening is that we're seeing the ego be integrated into us as a whole and moving down to an in instinctual level where we no longer need it to be this giant troubleshooter running our lives? Is is is, is maybe part of what we're seeing this awakening a, a sort of integration of the ego into us as a whole? So, so you're saying that we are becoming more instinctual? Well, I'm saying that it seems to me that our ego, that when we live our life through our ego, we seem to be constantly abrasive. We seem to be constantly looking at everything as a threat. If we, at least in my opinion, I've, I've heard it described, and I think it fits well that our ego is like a threat detector. And when we live through our ego, everything is threatening to us. And so maybe instead of having that, people live their life through their ego, us becoming aware of it, helps it drop down to a more manageable size where it just becomes this part of us. And it's, that's instead of an ego death, it's more of an ego integration and the oh. world we're beginning to see emerge like that. Yeah, I think, um, well, that's kind of, that's what the spiritual process, the spiritual journey is ultimately about. It's about um, everything. It's about making everything that was unconscious conscious mm. so a lot of um it's about like seeing a lot of behavior that did stem from ego um it's about being aware of that behavior about seeing it for what it is and making it conscious uh because you know like the great carl Jung said on on un, unless you um 
make the unconscious conscious, it's going to direct your life and you're going to call it fate because you're, you're acting from this, this uh, unconscious ego, instinctual lack of awareness. And it's just kind of like leading you down this path that you have no control over. And the more, um, the more you work on yourself, whether it's via any kind of psycho spiritual growth, uh, psychedelics, yoga, whatever, it's um, all of those unconscious patterns become conscious. Um, And it's, you know, these unconscious patterns are, are called karma. And so you're, you're burning through all this karma um, and becoming more of, of a conscious person and not just like an intelligent monkey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was reading through some of your bio too, and you, you talk about comparative mystical experience. Like what, what, what is that? Is that just different myth, mystical experiences from different cultures or is that what, maybe you can explain that a little bit. Yeah, it's it is it is mystical experiences in, in different um, in different various religions and spiritual traditions. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, the the ego dissolution though is the um, it's kind of the the core of the mystical experience, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and. Uh, but I, I was just, I was just, I guess, you know, there, there. I think in, in the West, especially when you hear mystical experience, you assume it's, it's something blissful and amazing, and, and it is that it is. But I, I like to say it's the best and worst thing that mm. will ever happen to you. Yeah. Um, because, because, uh, at least in the in in the Hinduism tradition. Uh, what what's happening in a mystical experience is there's this um have you have you heard of kundalini rising right i have yeah yeah so there there's but this, maybe there's some people who haven't heard about it you should explain okay. it for them okay yeah so there's this um there's this energy at the that sits at the base of the spine and it's coiled kind of like a snake um and as you are doing as you are doing any kind of spiritual practice and this, and it also happens in psychedelics, um, that energy, that snake starts to move through various like energy centers and chakras up the spine. And, um, and it's like a purification process. So as that's happening, your, the chakras are getting cleared, which which means that you're going to be confronting a lot of energetic blocks and what's sitting in those energetic blocks a lot of times is repressed emotion and trauma. Um, and it's a lot of times it's going to be, it's going to manifest in, in like crazy ways. Like you're going to, it might be sobbing. It might be shaking, trembling, um, screaming and, um, and so that's something that, yeah, and and I think with, you know, I, I was speaking to someone recently who said with, uh, he works with 5-MeO-DMT, mm-hmm. he, he works, uh, he's a therapist, and he was saying that a lot of times when you take 5-MeO, he sees like in his patients and his clients that 
they have trouble integrating back into society and uh and he was like we were saying like what's going on and he was like yeah it's probably the kundalini just rises way too fast um and it's just way too uh shocking for for the system um but yeah i'm i'm not sure where i was getting at with that but um but yeah i I think i just think there's yeah what i was going to say is just there's this idea that mystical consciousness is this beautiful thing and and it is but psycho spiritual growth you know they say you don't go to heaven you grow to heaven Mm. um so that's just something that that's another thing in, in the psychedelic space where it's like people have this idea that you take a psychedelic once and your whole life is changed. And that's, that's not, that's not how it works. It's, it's a process. It's, it's a growth. Uh, it's a growth process and it's not always going to look pretty. And if it doesn't look pretty, it's not because you're having a bad trip. It's supposed to be brutal. It's supposed to be brutal. <laughs> it's so true. It makes me want to cry a little bit when I, when I think about, you know, I, I, one of my favorite authors is Mercy Iliad, and he talks about the terror before the sacred. I think it's a great way to describe a mystical experience is, you know, you're just shaking in terror, like peeing your pants in front of this thing that's so beautiful because there's nothing else you can do. You're just paralyzed by fear. And it's a weird concept to think about being paralyzed by fear in the presence of something so perfect. Like those things don't, they're not congruent. It's like, what? shouldn't you praise it shouldn't you be like amazed by it but it seems to me that that it's 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 the it's a great way to describe it because there's there's not a whole lot of words when you see something that you you know if you think of like a um sometimes we see it in the predator prey model like an animal will pause in fear because they know they're about they're in the presence of something that can just destroy them and i think that that happens in the in the in the experience the mystical experience or sometimes in the the psychedelic experiences is that you're paralyzed because you have been forced to see the world as it is instead of the way you've always wanted it to be you know and all of a sudden for a moment you get to be at the mountaintop and the blinders are off and you see everything and you know it's it's i think sometimes too with the with the relationship that people have with psychedelics it's this idea that you want to always be in that state but the true nature of psychedelics should be to go to that state and then come back and integrate it into your life or help other people integrate it into their life but it, it does seem like it can be used as an escape in in that that method i when i think about mystics i i'm curious is is there a certain type of mystic experience that calls to you are you like like you know when we think of saint Teresa, or maybe you think of you know, some other Indian mystics like, but, but is there a certain type of mystical experience that you found yourself more curious about? Um, like a certain, a certain culture or. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if it seems to me that for me, sometimes I, I fantasize about like, Oh, I wonder what that one would be like, or I wonder what that, when you read the interpretations of the different mystics, like, they're always fascinating, but it seems to me, for some reason, I I, I think of um, Saint you know uh, Saint John or Saint Teresa, the Christian experience. Maybe that's because that's what I grew up in a little bit. But I'm wondering if the same is for you. Yeah. In, in... Well, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm drawn to, I'm particularly drawn to, I would say Hinduism and and Christianity, and and I was raised Jewish, so, um, but but Christianity, um, I just think like Jesus's teachings are, they're just there's nothing like it, and um, his. I, I think his, um, when he says, you know, lest you become like children, you'll never enter, enter the kingdom of mm. heaven. Um, and I think that is so, I mean, because what he's essentially saying in that is, unless you become that trusting, naive child that's just surrendering to everything, right? You're not going to find that peace and happiness that the kingdom of heaven has to offer and and that's kind of um you know what 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 Sadhguru says mm -hmm. he says um you'll you'll never find security by by looking for ways to make yourself more secure security comes in total abandon meaning total surrender um and I think that that really is like surrender and trust just plays a huge role in in how um, in in spiritual growth. I think so. So that's you know Jesus and, and Christianity. I think I think is huge for me. But but Hinduism, you know, I do like Eastern because Eastern <clears throat> spirituality is Western is inherently dualistic. There's more of a um, of course, like, yeah, the mystics talk about being in union with God, but in general, the Western is a little more dualistic. There's a, um, so there's a separation between you and God. And in one way it's good because it makes you more devotional. You have something to, to be devotional to, but in another way it's bad because then there's like all this guilt and, oh, I'm not good enough. And, um, I, I don't deserve to be with God or, or I'm, I'm a sinner, all of this. So, um, so I, I don't know. I, I think they're all great. I think like per, the perennial philosophy says they all point to one truth. Right? right. So, so, um, it's hard, it's hard to say. I, I really can't pick one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's intoxicating. I, I love talking about it and, and, and thinking about what I can learn by, reading some of their accounts and how much they speak to our lives. And maybe it's just getting to read or listen to people whose stories are inspiring. I, I really enjoy it. And I, I, I have enjoyed this conversation. It's incredible. I really appreciate you spending time with me today. I really love getting to learn about you and, 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 and the, what you've done so far and, I know that the paper that you're getting ready to produce that goes with the poster is going to be awesome. And, but before I let you go, is there, is there anything else you want to touch on before we go? Um, is there anything else I want to touch on? Um, no, I, I just, you know, I, I really hope that, um, I'm just, I really hope that this psychedelic industry stuff doesn't get out of control in terms of, um, you know, they're, they're trying to do everything to it. It's like all these studies like about um, 
oh, you don't even need the experience. You don't even need, you, you just, we can just like, you know, rewire your brain. You know, it's just like, so I, I'm just really hoping that it, it does not become this, it does not look like Huxley's Brave New World, <laughs> basically. You know what, I, do, you have, do you have a few more minutes? Like, I, I want to be mindful of your time. Yeah. Sure, okay, no, no, okay, no, good. No. Okay, good. <clears throat> Let's touch on that because there's a really interesting um Do I have my notebook? I don't have my notebook here, but um there's a really interesting study that just came out in Nature from the from Helsinki. And in that particular study, they spoke about um the I'm gonna butcher it, but it's it's not the 5H2A receptor, it's yeah, like it's the LT. Yeah, yeah. Mm, thank you for knowing that. I'm so stoked you know that. <laughs> so, okay, that, but that kind of speaks to this idea of, hey, let's just develop a new chemical that can adapt to that particular receptor, and then we can have all this change without any of the experience. But I think that that speaks to what you're talking about. What, why, why do you think people should be worried, and and why do you think that it's a problem if the psychedelic powers or community tends to go that route of of not having the experience? And just and just having the rewiring of the brain. Why is that wrong? And, and maybe you could speak to that a little bit more. Because, like, the psychedelics are the reason why they're so revolutionary and why they're such a, a paradigm shift is is because um, the trip is is allowing the conscious mind to perceive the workings of the unconscious mind which is usually, you know, out of, out of reach for us. Right. But in, in doing that, it gives you, it opens up a great opportunity to um, make changes in your subconscious beliefs, which are the core of, of, you know, I, I like depression, for instance, is, is essentially just, um, you're going to have Shannon Duncan on your show tomorrow, yeah. right? Yeah. And, well, he, you know, I read his book and he really explains it well, like what psychedelics do, what what mental illness is, is just unexpressed pain and emotion that's just been sitting there. And um, the psychedelics open up a window into access into that and to process it. It's unprocessed emotion. And, right. and, um, and so I think that... Yeah, and, and I think that if you, if you take that away, um, I just I just think it's missing the entire point. And and again, it's going back to that like no feeling, no feeling. Just take the soma, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they they just they, they're doing everything to stop people from feeling. And mm -hmm. I, I think I don't know. This is going to get a little conspiratorial, but yeah, I, do it. It's like they don't want. Uh, they don't because what are psychedelics doing? There, ex, that experience expands your consciousness. It opens your mind up to seeing the world in a different way. And it's like they don't want that. They don't want that. They want the. Just, Wait, who are they? You gotta tell me who they are first. I I don't know the the <laughs> the pharmaceutical companies. Yes, the, the scientific establishment. Yes. The the whoever. I, yes, it's, I'm with you. Um, yeah, I just. I think the experience and they're always like, oh, well, it's just going to stop the hallucinations. But it's like it's not about the hallucinations. It's about the emotional processing that happens on psychedelics. Like, you know, it, it's not no one's trying to, you know, go to 
Coachella and 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 see patterns and fractals like it, that's not what it's about. It's about the emotional processing in the experience. Um, so that's just that's just a concern of mine. Um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully that explained why I think it's a concern. Yeah, I love it. And I share your concern. And I, <clears throat> I think that the majority of people do. I, on some level, I guess I could see, you know, in the event that somebody had like traumatic brain injury or they, yes. they were on, on, you know, some sort of a defibrillator, not a defibrillator, but yeah. like on a, on a breathing machine or something like that. Like I could see how that particular Parkinson's, type of Parkinson's, any type of neurodegenerative yep. disorder. <clears throat> absolutely. Great. But again, they want to take away. It's like, you have to understand that these illnesses are existential in nature. And yeah. so there has to be that, that change in perspective um, that I, I, I don't know that there has to be that phenomenological experience of like, where am I in the grand scheme of things? Um, yeah. Where is my trauma in the grand scheme of things? Why did I experience this? Like, I, I just think, um, I, I think it's necessary. And, and, that's the thing. It's it's probably just like we don't want to accept that these illnesses are existential and spiritual in nature. They're just biochemical. I so do you think like <clears throat> there's a great story, and I I think I can tell it well. So can I tell you a quick story, and then I want to get your opinion of like what you what yeah. you think. If this is this possible that this could happen again? <clears throat> so there's this great video of Ram Dass talking to Terrence McKenna, and Terrence McKenna asks Ram Dass like what you know, why did the great, you know, revolution of psychedelics fail? Like, what, what was it, Ram Dass? Like, what happened? And Ram Dass, in his fashion, just kind of leans back and he's rubbing his beads, you know? And he, he just gives, like, the long pause. It's so beautiful. He's like, you know, there's a great story. And there's a story of this, you know, this very incredible you know, disgusting, but violent general. And he's sweeping his way through the, the uh, Asian continent. He's this crazy warlord and he is just ruining places and he is devastating everything. And he is just very violent. And the only resistance that he meets is with the, the priest of that time or the, the, um, the monks of that time. And so he's going out of his way just to slaughter them in ways to make not only the people afraid, but the monks afraid. And so as he's making his way through the countryside, slaughtering villagers and just doing disgusting things to monks. So everyone will be afraid. He sends, he, he goes into this town and the, the leaders of that town meet him and they say, Oh, general, everyone is so frightened of you. You're the greatest, most horrible warlord of all times. And all the monks have fled except for one. And the general is like, you can just see his eyes get all big. And he's like, where is this monk? How dare he despise? How dare he not understand how great and terrible I am? Where is he? Oh, he's in the ashram. And so the general makes his way over there and he, boom, opens the doors. And there's the monk just standing there with a smile on his face, all, you know, receiving him. And the, the warlord walks up to him with spit coming out of his mouth. And he's like, don't you know who I am? I could take my sword and I could run it through your belly without blinking an eye. And the, ashra, or the, and the monk just looks at him and he smiles and he's like, and don't you know who I am? I could have your sword run through my belly without blinking an eye. And Terrence McKenna stands back and he's just like, 
in his fashion, that's a good story. And he's mm-hmm. like, so that's what happened? He's like, he goes, you know, it seems to me that when the powers that be, when they came with guns for us, we ran for the hills. And so my question to you is, when authority comes, when they come, big pharma, the governments, the military industrial complex, when the system around us is crumbling and they see people like us making a new system, when they come for us, will we stand or will we run for the hills? Well, what are they going to do exactly? I think they can <laughs> kill people, right? I mean, like, it seems to me that there's I, a, I mean, I don't know. What, what, what do you think? I mean, well, I, I am, you know, I am prepared for um, any, like, this is going to be triggering for <laughs> for them, right? For, for yes. anyone who, who's in that, who subscribes to that, to that paradigm, right? They, it's not something they want to hear. So you have to prepare yourself, I guess, for um, for the flack, um, and and just just know that you're standing. Yeah. Just know, just know that you're you're aligned with with truth. But I mean, I I guess I'm in the yeah. I'm a fatalist, and it's like if if they want to come, let them come, let them come. <laughs> right. So I, I love it. I'm at least at least like I'm coming from a place where I, I genuinely want to help like people. It's, it's for me, it's not about, it's not about the, the dollar signs and the fancy whatever. Um, So I, I think as long as, as you are, you know, light always wins, light always wins. I love it. I I know it's, (laughs) I'm a little bit hyperbolic. Well, they're going to kill people, but like, it's probably not going to happen. And I, in, in some ways, like I just embellish it a little bit, but I, forgive me for being so embellishing. I love, I love that idea of like just talking about it and stuff like that. But I, I think that one thing that people can only do is take things away from you. And if you're okay with having things taken away from you and you understand that when things are taken away from you, you just become, you still have yourself. You still have the people that love you. And if those things get taken away from you, then... You know, I, maybe those relationships weren't real, but all people can do is really to punish you is like a negative reinforcement. They can take things away from you. But if the things in your life that truly make you happy aren't the material things, then you'll be okay. You'll live a better life. And may, maybe, maybe it's not about getting things. Maybe it's about having things taken away and still being happy with life. Maybe that's the goal. Exactly. I mean, it's like... Exactly. You take things away from me, but that's the point. I, I am not relying on things to be happy. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, you are, and what you're doing is just trying to taste something through your ear by, by, you know, by that, that's what it essentially comes down to. So, um, yeah. How much of, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but sometimes I think that a large part of the problems we face today is this idea of accumulation or getting things. And if we could get people to, and I think that sometimes therapy is getting people to understand that the pursuit of getting things is driving you crazy. Just maybe let those things go, right? Does that seem to be something that runs through the, is that sort of like a river that runs through the world of mental illness? Is this idea that we need to grab so much and hold on to so many things? Um, 
well, in your opinion? I, I, th I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that uh, it's like the more you have, it's it's this paradox where the more you have, the less happy you, you yeah. become. I mean, if if materialism and, and comfort and all of that was um, was a guarantee for happiness, then then the then you would think like a country like America would be the happiest country on in the world, and that's definitely not the case, right? There's there's countries. Uh, where people have much less, much yeah. less, and they're happier. Um, so I definitely think I definitely think it's it's a problem, um, but it's also again there's a vested interest in consumerism. So, mm. so you know, um, <laughs> that's it's going to be hard to to get people to not to to want to break out of that pattern. Yeah. I love the fact that you call it a pattern. You know, I think another, at least for me and I, some of the people that I know that I've spoken to, when we talk about patterns, I think about identity, you know, for, I'll use myself as an example. As someone who was, a, I was a UPS driver for like 26 years, but you can use this for your, whatever you've done. Sometimes the things that you do become your identity. And I think that that's problematic, not only for me, but for other people. Like if you define yourself by the thing you do every day, I think it's very one dimensional. And my hope is that people would define themselves not by the one thing they do every single day, but by the relationships that they have. Maybe you're a maybe you're a doctor, a lawyer or a truck driver or a garbage man or or a nurse or what you do is important, but it's not as re relevant as the relationships you have with the people around you. You're a father, you're a wife, you're a husband, you're a daughter. You know, the relationships you have with people, I think, are a better identifier of who you are than what you do. What, do you think that's accurate? Um, yeah, I, I, I would say I would I would go even further than okay. that. I, I would say, who are you when um, when you strip away your, because, you know, this is something that, that's Sadhguru talks about all the time, which is like, your body is just an accumulation of food over the years, right? You, when George was born, you weren't born with the body you have now, but you're still George, you were still yeah. George then. And, and, and the same thing with, with, your mind the contents of your mind um are constantly changing you don't you don't have the same thoughts you did when you were three as you do now so um so and and that's what the spiritual process is about it's who are you when all of that is stripped away when your mind when, when your thoughts when your body when all of that is stripped away you're you're just pure awareness and that's that is who you are that's who we all are and we're all part of that one universal mind that is just pure awareness. Um, so that is what we should be connecting to. Um, yeah. I love it. I think I, I, it's beautiful. And I, I, I hope that more people can begin to see that. I think it's a, it's a good meditation just to think about. And if you do start thinking about who you are, whether it's, you know, reading Plato or listening to Sadhguru or 
speaking to your wife or your husband or just watching your kids play. I think that idea of who are you is a very fantastic way to begin to see your life in a different way. And it's very positive. Although sometimes when you ask that question, you might not like the results you get. And if you don't like the results you get when you ask who you are, that's just a way to begin changing your life. I, I don't know. It's fascinating to me to think about all the different ways in which we as a world are growing and, and to see the catalysts that are making them happen. And I think it's really exciting to see this new world emerging of psychedelic therapy and awakening happen. What, what are you most excited about for the future of, of what's happening now? Um, I mean, I'm, I am excited about the awakening. Um, you know, some, some days I'm, I'm not sure, like, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if it's where, which direction it's headed, mm -hmm. but I always try to remind myself that it is like the death rebirth process. It's like the, the labor pains we're in the mm -hmm. labor right now sure and all these men <clears throat> these mental health crises and all the, the suffering in the world i think i think it were that's the labor pains um so but but i am excited about it because i do think we're living in a in a paradigm shift um and i do hope that we are we are headed towards a you know i i do think spirituality is is going to become increasingly popular and more people are going to seek it I, I do think that's going to happen. I, I think it already is happening um, because I think people are going to come to realize that it's where it's where true happiness lies. It's not in materialism. It's just not there. Yeah, it's fa so when I think about that, you know, I, I always think of like, for some reason, I've been thinking a lot about the double helix. And I, when I think about the two things that are connected with the end of materialism, comes maybe more spirituality. I, can, I think that they, they are, they are uh, I forgot the term for that, but they, they're, they run in different wavelengths or something like that. But on some level, to the people that have lived their lives celebrating and have found themselves embracing the world of materialism, it's going to look like death to them. And you can see the power structures like, oh my God, the economy, we're all going to die. But here comes this other wave of spirituality. And when you read like the literature of people in not all of it, but I mean, you can find the echoes of true happiness in devastation. When you read biographies of people who live through traumatic times, they say everything was taken from me, but I was never happier. You know, you start thinking to yourself like, wow, how could that be? But it seems a lot. And, and Maybe that's foreshadowing of what's about to happen. Maybe things are going to get economically bad, but that maybe that also means that things are going to become spiritually beautiful. Maybe there needs to be this sort of calamity, this sort of breakdown in the material world we live in so that out of that, we can have a more holistic approach to building a better life. What do you think? I think that's spot on. I think that everything like, you know, I, I think... COVID was like the beginning of the collapse. I mean, it, there was already a collapse yep. before, but I think that was the, a huge um, turning point. And I, I do agree. I think that things have to get bad in order for people to, um, to find what's real. Um, and I agree. I, I think that, you know, just 
every single day there's an article mental health crisis mental health crisis and i think people are not able to um yeah i i think i think it's it's just really tough for people to to cope with the collapse that they're seeing and all the calamity and all the uh, the structures falling apart and so that is contributing to um to the mental health crisis but at the same time it's going to give birth to um to spirituality so sometimes i think that everything that's happened to us has been like a school like you and i have been in this school and like let's just pretend that we've been in this school now for a long time and we're part of this graduating class and all of a sudden dr yusufo yusufova the, the economy collapses and there's people that are flooding your clinic like you have hardly the resources you need and you've been trained in psychedelic medicine but there's are you prepared for the hundreds if not thousands of people that are going to be clamoring to get into the clinics to solve the mental trauma you're com that's coming your way like are you are you prepared for that like if the economy just collapses like i i can see it happening in a weird sort of way and i i don't think there's a whole lot of I think for people that are practicing right now, be prepared. Like this is, is, it could be a beautiful time, but beautiful, not in the way we're used to beautiful in the way that you're able to help people. Like, you know, it, I don't know. Does that kind of make sense? Am I, am I, are you picking yeah, up what like, I'm putting down here? You're, you're, you're basically asking, um, am I, am I prepared for the fact that there's going to be a lot of people seeking help? Right. <laughs> is that a crazy amount and you're not going to have the resources to do it. And like, the the, well, the the yeah exactly the, okay so again going back to Sadhguru, what he always says we have we have as a society all the resources to to help people like at, at this stage we have all the resources the only thing that's missing is consciousness and so i do think that like um and and that's why i hope like the that that people that that are in power and that can make these decisions make the right decisions and don't invest money in goggles that are just gonna make people sicker and um and don't like take away the what makes psychedelics so healing in the first place like all these things if i think if we you know with, with the right it's not about a lack of resources it's about it's about the how people approach it mm. and, and that's that's what worries me mm. um so you know i i hope to to practice um you know I, you're gonna have shannon duncan on your show tomorrow and and his his book really yeah. i really encapsulates what the healing process should look like um and 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 um so I just hope we don't stray away from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think we're on the right path when I speak to you or speak to Shannon tomorrow or so many cool people that have such a clear vision of, of how they can help people. I think that that is one of the most beautiful things that I, I see. And it's something that drives me as like, oh, I, I love the way this person sees the world. I love, their passion for helping people. I love their optimism. I love the struggles that they've been into and it shows me the depth of their character and how they can help people. And I, I'm truly thankful. I, I could probably talk to you for like another hour. I got another podcast coming up, but this is really, yeah. really fun. 
And I'm Thank really you. proud of everything you're doing. And I hope that I, you know what, maybe, maybe before we go, I didn't even give you the opportunity to talk about the poster you presented. Maybe you could talk about that for a minute. I know that you have, that you presented that. And I know that there's, when I go on your page, I see everybody like, Hey, Lubo, can you, I want this. I want that. I want the poster. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the poster that you presented. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, um, I, I got into it a little bit with you, but right, right. essentially, um, you know, I, I used, I got the idea to, uh, from a, from a mentor of mine who he said to like, kind of make it look like a graphic novel in a way, like to storyboard it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have him to thank for, for that idea, Alex Harris. He, um, so what I did was I took AI art and kind of just um, created all the images that way. Um, and yeah, it's, it kind of just shows the therapeutic mechanisms of, of mystical consciousness, which we spoke about earlier, the, just how brutal it is how brutal it is and 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 how um how painful it can be but the um but it's it's a process of transformation and it happens um it happens gradually and just anyone listening like you need you want to be sobbing on the floor during your psychedelic trip like you want that <laughs> that is where the healing is um, so yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I'll post, I'll, <clears throat> I'll post the poster and the paper, um, very soon. I, I'm collaborating with, um, the Erie Entheogenic Research Integration Education. So I'll have it up soon for, for everyone to see, but that's essentially what, what it gets at. Um, just elucidating what mystical consciousness is, is really like, and, and how, because the ego causes so much resistance and healing. Like I remember I was listening to Randall on your show. He was saying um, how he, there's like this, he, he had this client or someone had this client where they would go into uh, therapy and they would like only talk about things. Um, they would kind of manipulate the conversation with their therapist to avoid right. talking about what should be. And, and that's, that's the ego. That's, the ego resisting. Um, so that's why I think when there is ego dissolution, it's, that's where healing happens. That's where true healing can happen. And that's essentially, I guess my poster. Um, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to present it without, cause there's no, like, I need to like show right. it, you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'll have it up soon for people to, to see. I've already sent it to a few people. So, well, congratulations on that. I, you. you know, sometimes sometimes the psychedelic experience is, is very difficult to put into words. And so I, I think that I'm always intrigued and somewhat mesmerized by people that are able to put something forth or, or bring something back. You know what I mean by that? Like sometimes so, those of us who find ourselves on a psychedelic journey, it's amazing. But I think that the goal for people one of the goals that can be is to bring something back and bring it and release it into this world. It's like you're you're going and you capture this beautiful, I don't know if you want to capture a beautiful bird, but you capture an idea and then you yeah. can bring it back here and set it free into this world. And somehow it it, it, it flies away and creates beauty for everyone to see. But I, I love it. And I think that 
that's and I'm looking forward to reading the paper because I, I I really think that it's incredibly beautiful when people can capture something from a different realm and release it into this realm. And I, from what I've seen on the poster and from, from what I've talked to you about, I think that that's what you're doing. And I'm really thankful for that. So, but before I let you go, what, where can people find you and what do you have coming up? Um, so right now you can only find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, just my name, Luba Yusufova. Um, and in terms of what I have coming up, um, like I said, I'll be releasing the paper and poster soon. Um, and I am going to be starting my program at CIIS, which is a school that's very plugged in and perfect for me. Um, so I'm going to be starting my clinical psychology program there. And um, yeah, and hopefully in a few years, people will come to me and I can help them. I think you're already helping people right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm really thankful for your time. Hang on one second. I'm going to hang up with everybody, but I wanted to talk to you briefly for a moment afterwards. Yeah, yeah, sure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for spending time with us. Check out the links. Look forward to the paper coming up, and I hope everyone has a beautiful day. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart, listen to the song on the wind, and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.